0: Welcome to episode 203 of I Quit Blank and Started Running. If you haven't yet had a chance to listen in, this podcast is about remarkable people who turn to running as a way to overcome a particular challenge in their lives. Join me each week as I share inspiring stories of where they started, what it was that made them want to change, how running factored in, and where they are today.
1: We all love to see elite athletes. We love to see the Olympiads. But we also like to see the stories that there's hope for some of us that might not be here next year and that want to make a difference today.
0: That is the incredible one and only Beth Ann Telford. I'm your host Antonia De Heinrich and today I have the honor to speak with Beth Ann about her extraordinary journey. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Beth Ann's story, she's a marathon runner, Ironman triathlete, Kona Ironman World Championship and World Marathon Challenge finisher. And all this after a brain tumor diagnosis, several surgeries and treatments, and while still living with brain cancer today.
1: You are Iron
0: man.
1: Brain tumor cancer! You are a survivor! Yeah, man. The can- From Fairfax, Virginia, competing with and battling brain cancer. Right now, through her battle, she is trained for this race, and she has made it to her finish line one more time for Beth Ann Telferd, Manback, Virginia!
0: What an amazing scene at her finish in Kona. Without further ado, here's Beth Ann. Good morning, Beth Ann, how are you?
1: Oh, good morning, I'm doing great. Great uh, to be here with you and talk about some exciting uh, things other than politics these days. <laughs>
0: I will try to steer clear, it is a very uh, interesting week. So thank you for uh, taking the time to speak with me this morning. I I know it's it's a crazy time. So I'll just jump into an introduction real quick. What's your name, where are you from, and what do you do?
1: My name is Beth Ann Telford. I'm originally from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. For a living, I'm an events coordinator for the federal government. And um, I'm here in Washington, DC now. This is my second home, but home to me is Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania.
0: Very cool. So what was your most recent run and how did it go?
1: Well, with COVID, you know they weren't doing a lot of races, as you well know, and people were very bummed out. And I had a lot of friends that wanted to qualify for Boston or actually just be in a race where you had timing, you had people, you had volunteers and crew. So I was looking at something in my hometown when I was home a couple of weeks ago and noticed that there was the Harrisburg Marathon there in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and it was a Boston qualifier. So I reached out to my running friends and and someone that you had interviewed, Suzanne Swanson, who has a great story. Um, That's another podcast to listen to that you had. Um, So a bunch of us uh, went to Harrisburg uh, last Friday And we prepared for the Harrisburg Marathon. It was a beautiful course. They changed up the marathon course due to COVID. They asked that a lot of people don't come out. They staggered the race over two days, Saturday and Sunday. We got into a Saturday slot. and We took off around 7.40 in the morning. Then they staggered the runners. It was very sparse run, but absolutely beautiful because you ran around – the riverfront, which is very well known um, in the capital of Pennsylvania, and it's just absolutely beautiful. Little little hills on the bridges, and some trail, but it was just a great day. Unfortunately, it was hot. Uh, one of the runners did qualify, and she came in first place for our age group. She happens to be 65, and my doctor. But uh, nonetheless, I was very proud of her. And the rest of us had a good race, but um, the heat got to some of us.
0: Yeah, that's incredible that your doctor qualified and won her age group. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, she's she's amazing. She's an ultra runner um, and she really just took her time. Her pace was beautiful and uh, it was just great to see her come in.
0: Awesome. And, you know, I mean, again, steering clear from politics, but what a morning to be running in Harrisburg.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the finish line. I, I had discussed this with you offline was uh, some people getting ready to march in the Capitol due to Pennsylvania being one of the most contentious, uh, you know, voter issues. So it, it was interesting. But we all got out of town uh, before the, that started. Thank God.
0: Yeah, that's that's good. Many of the listeners know exactly who Beth Ann Telford is. But for those who don't, would you mind giving us a little background on how, why and when you got into endurance sports? Do you remember when and where your first race was?
1: Well, again, I was born in Harrisburg. Uh, Harrisburg is this is the capital of Pennsylvania. And we resided on the other side of the river that I was explaining about the marathon in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. I went to school there, um, did my studies there, but I was an avid field hockey. I was a group sports uh, athlete. I never did, you know, I think singular. So I played hockey, I played soccer, I played softball, but my number one thing that I got scholarship for was field hockey. And for field hockey, you only had to run the uh, mile to qualify for the team. So that was something you know, I dreaded, but we all did it and had to do it. and drills, of course. So I never was, you know, a five k or I wasn't you know, the half marathon marathon. i re- I never did that when I was in Harrisburg doing my schooling. But I, from all the young ages, I was always athletic, always on my bike as a kid, running around, always throwing ball with my dad. Um, but when I moved here to DC right after 9/11, you couldn't help but see everyone on the Potomac River and in DC running either early morning, after work, and especially the weekends. It was like running was the big thing, not biking. So I took an interest in that, and I talked to some friends that I work in the government with, and they're like, "Yeah, everyone, you know, especially in summers." you know fall they're training for this Marine Corps marathon so i looked into it and i was like wow this is incredible not only am i running in the city but i'm running past monuments i'm running with the marines and military i definitely want to do it so i had signed up for that uh years and years ago and that was my very first marathon. And I did it to raise money and awareness for AIDS uh, at the time was very prevalent. So I did the AIDS marathon um, challenge and we there was uh, hundreds of us that did it. And we trained together in groups every Saturday, the week you were on your own to do your own running. But that was uh, my first race. And that was, uh, wow. It was in the early 2000s uh, that I did that.
0: Very cool. Okay, so that's interesting. You always have run to raise awareness or funds for something. And then did you get into triathlon as well or was running your your focus?
1: Running was my focus. and, And then when I got sick is when I started to do the triathlons.
0: All right. Well, we'll get into that. Yes. So you had been racing um, or running marathons for a number of years. Uh, Would you say that it's true that you were at the peak of your, I guess, endurance capabilities and athletic achievement in 2004 when you ran that year's Marine Corps marathon? Something happened during that race, right?
1: Yes, I I was. I was feeling very good. Uh, The only thing that I was worried about was, um, they were asking people to defer or you know listen to their body because it was the hottest Marine Corps they've had on record, believe it or not. So I felt like I can run in the heat. I, I don't have a problem with that. And I can run in the cold. I prefer the heat. But I, I went out and I did it. At that time, um, I wasn't running for any anything. I just was running the marathon. Um, lots of great friends out there supporting. And um I felt good, you know, I wasn't at my peak to say, because I feel like I was at my peak after I got sick, but at this particular marathon for where I was, my age, my weight, all that stuff, I felt very good. I had trained well, Um, but unfortunately mile 19 at the time was on Haynes point, it was like 18, 19. And um, I felt this really big pop in my head. And my gait, which is your running stance, it started going left and right almost like I had uh, had too much to drink. And I was hitting people, and I looked up as soon as this, you know shock came to my head, like you go into a plane, and you have to clear your ears. That was exactly the feeling. And I looked up and I remember the area I was in because it was a lamppost and it was the first one coming around the tip of Haynes Point. So, you know, I got myself together. I'm thinking, wow, I really can't focus. I'm foggy here. I'll get to the next uh, water stop. Maybe I'm dehydrated. The heat got to me and I'll take in some electrolytes. Well, I got there. And I tried to take in water, electrolytes, you know, I tried to do some salt tablets, all that. And I still wasn't feeling good. I ended up finishing that race. And, you know, that was that um, the last few miles, of course, were not great because my, my gate was off and I just was. My site was foggy, but I did end up finishing and I reported to work the next day. The Marine Corps Marathon is always the last Sunday in October. So Monday I go to work and you have to imagine where I work. They have uh, historical furniture, historical artifacts that have been there for years and they're in a place that have been in place for years as well. Well, I was running into these items. I uh, was forgetting meetings. I was uh, getting on the metro system, which is our subway system in here in DC. Instead of coming out to Virginia where my home is, I got on the line and went the other way, ended up at the last stop in Maryland. So this was happening throughout the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday after the race. And Wednesday, my boss, who was a presidential appointee, called me into his office. And he said, Beth, um, there's something going on with you. And I, I think he thought maybe I was drinking, I was on drugs or you know something, but he was very nice about it. He's like, you need to get yourself together. This was after I had messed up his schedule. I just wasn't focusing, not doing correspondence correctly. And so uh, Wednesday afternoon, I had an appointment at GW. Now, GW is George Washington Hospital. At the same time, I'm still seeing my doctor at Hershey Medical in Pennsylvania, And I had dropped him a line and said, hey, something's up. I'm going to go to GW. Can you follow up with this doctor? So I see a doctor there and they immediately thought I was, you know, had an inner ear infection. So I was like, okay, this is good. What do I do for it? And then they treat me for that. Well, that night, Dr. In Hershey said, Beth, that's not you. Now, this is a doctor that has been with my family practitioner for years. He knows my body. He knows everything. He's like, I'd feel better if you got an MRI. So he orders an MRI that week. And I get into an MRI um, there in Washington, D.C., right on K Street. All this stuff is just, you know, landmarks for me. And um, I get my MRI and I could tell the tech was like, holy Christ, what is that? And they're not really allowed to tell, but you can tell by the face. I was like, let me see it. And he's like, oh, we just have to send it to GW. So that uh, got done, the MRI. And then turn around and it was the following week. I'm in my office you know, I'm doing my work and the phone rings. And here it's the doctor from GW. And he says, Beth, I need to see you today right away about your MRI. And I was like, you have to tell me over the phone. I can't go anywhere. We have, it was a busy day. I don't know what was going on, but I couldn't leave. So after negotiating with him, because you have to remember, this is 15 years ago and they never tell you results over the phone. He finally said, look, um, you've got a tumor. And I was like, tumor, you know, and again, 15 years ago, how many people heard about tumors or his next sentence was, yeah, it's a brain tumor. So I'm like, I do not know one single person with brain tumor. I didn't. So. I'm thinking, and you know, I'm just stunned. I'm on the phone with him and he's like, you need to come in, we need to take action. You know, It's in your left frontal lobe. So immediately I get on the phone with my doctor at Hershey and he goes, yeah, Beth, um, what do you wanna do? He goes, I don't want you to come to Hershey because it's not good, but get in and see the doctor at GW and we'll make a plan. So immediately I hung up the phone and I remember I went to the stairwell of our building and I just sat there and I cried and I was thinking, you know, cause he had warned me both doctors not to get on Google and Google it because you're not going to like what you see. So I went to the stairwell and I just cried. I'm thinking, who can I call? And the first thing you think of being, you know, at the age of 35, I wanted to call my parents and I couldn't, and I tell you why I couldn't. My mom is a recovering alcoholic and, um, I just was feared that, you know, she hears that her baby daughter, I'm the baby of three, I have two older sisters has brain tumor and it's serious and it's in her head. And, you know, I didn't know much. So I didn't want to alert them. My mom's the rock. My dad's my hero. So I couldn't call them. So I called, you know, a dear friend of mine, who's my partner um, and has been, and I told him and he's like, And he's a rocket scientist. He works at NASA and just, you know, out there. So he was like Googling right away. And he's like, we're gonna get through this. I went back into the office, gathered myself together. I went in to see my boss, again, a presidential appointee. And he said, I knew something was wrong. And I said, well, I feared you thought I was like on drugs or or alcohol. He immediately called his wife um, and they're an older couple. And she took over my whole entire case. She went to every appointment, we visited five different doctors. She took time, we we went all over the place. And she finally, uh, with my help of course, without even telling my parents at the time or my sisters or any people at work, we went to five institutions and our last trip was to Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland. And we met with the head of neurosurgery. I was so lucky only because of my boss and um, Dr. Henry Brem. And Dr. Brem, out of the other five, four that we had met, was the only one that gave me hope. The other ones were like, you know, we have to do this and there's a chance of this and that. And it was very, very gray what they gave me. Well, Dr. Brem really talked us through every question. And again, my boss's wife, Nora, she wrote all the questions out. She was asking everything. I literally was just going through the phases. I sat there and I'm just not even talking, talking when asked to, but very minimal because I'm in a state of shock because I've got Uh, this.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to say,
1: yeah, I got this thing growing in my head. And I'm like Googling like famous people who has them, you know, and it's like you don't hear about brain cancer. So, anyway, to get back to my medical situation, so we went and ended up at Hopkins. He gave me the best option. And really, to this day, Dr. Brem is my best friend. When people get um their MRI and they notice they have brain cancer, they know to call me because Dr. Brem will look at the at the scripts and at the MRI um, ahead of time without seeing the patient and immediately like say, Well, we'll take that case, or this is what you should do. And if you're in Texas, this is who you should see. So that's the type of relationship I have built, i built with all my doctors, but especially Dr. Brem. So he's not just my surgeon, he's like my best friend um, and, and my angel that has saved me. So that's like the story of that marathon and why the Marine Corps marathon is so very special to me. So special that I um, have not missed a Marine Corps marathon even after two brain surgeries. I got myself together enough to either run, walk it, but I've finished the last several marathons since then. I haven't missed one Marine Corps since. That's
0: incredible really incredible because this was 15 years ago yeah
1: exactly 2004 and i was operated in 2005.
0: okay and you were what 35 at the time i was
1: 35 yes oh my gosh i i'm 51 now
0: i can't even imagine because obviously being only 35 and receiving a cancer diagnosis and not just any cancer diagnosis must have been as you said, an unimaginable shock and completely overwhelming. Um, Especially because you're an athlete, you know, you had to kind of, you had to relearn basic motor skills. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So going into the surgery, you know, you, you're given all these things, you, you have to get what what they say is your life in order especially with a, a brain tumor or, or if you've got very serious cancer so when they say you get your life in order you get your will together you get your power of attorney you get your living will all that stuff at 35 who the hell is thinking of that you know i am in a great position at my job i'm athletically fit the only thing that in my prior uh you know childhood that bothered me which is crazy um was I had migraines a lot during high school and I would come home to where I had to put ice packs on my head and a black room. And I always told my mother when she understood me um, was that I had something growing in my head. And that was kind of like the standing joke every time I got these migraines. And then to come forward at the age of 35, to find out that I had a tumor that you know, was for someone at the age of 65, they can determine like age of stuff. And um, it was just crazy. So it had been there for a while. And, you know, going into the surgery, Dr. Brim said, you will, you know, your sight. there'll be an issue with that probably. um, That, uh, you know, I need to learn to walk again. And eventually, if I wanted to run again, um, but it wasn't gonna be the same. So going into all that, I thought, well, my running career's over, what am I gonna do? I don't like to crochet, I'm not one to sit still, I'm not a binge watcher, You know, what am I gonna do? So there was a lot going through my head. And I remember the drive up there from my house here in Fairfax, it's about an hour drive. My parents were in the car, And my partner, he was driving and it was so quiet. And I I just cried inside because I wanted to be strong. And when we got there and they prepped me for surgery, my dad was the last person to say goodbye to me. And he said to Dr. Brim, he said, why can't you take me? I I don't want this to be my daughter. This can happen. And my dad actually had um, a little mental breakdown. And it was so tough because going into it, I thought, you know, I'm gonna die before my parents. And I'm actually kind of happy about that because they're my best friends. Uh, My mom has changed. She's a recovering alcoholic, as I said. And those two are my life. And when I saw this with my dad, I thought, you know, this is gonna hurt him so bad, but I'll be happy because I won't have to bury them. And I remember that was the only light in my tunnel then. And seeing my dad like that was like the last straw. And, um, you know, I woke up a couple of days later in ICU and uh, I couldn't see out of my left eye. It was very blurry. And, um, you know, I, I found out that I wouldn't have children in So then I was really determined to get out of bed and and try to walk. And that's, that was days later. Um, It was tough.
0: Yeah. I can't, I mean, I can't even fathom what that must have been like. I mean, I I can relate to the relationship with your parents because I'm the same way. I'm very close with my parents and I've not even remotely gone through anything like you. Um, So yeah. So you had to start walking again, literally.
1: Correct. Yes. I, I walked with a walker uh, for my rehab, first of all. And you have to remember the first time I got out of bed, uh, if you did, never had brain surgery, don't know what it feels like when they 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 had to. My tumor has a tail that's wrapped around the major blood vessel to the brain. So they'll never get the whole tumor. And that's why I've had several you know, brain surgeries. So when you have something in your head that is, you know, the size of a lemon or whatever, you know, some people have size of grapefruit, some people size a quarter that leaves your area. They take that out. There is a hill, uh, hole to fill and you can feel that. So when I got out of bed, my head, like it was like jelly up there, you know, I could feel it. And it's like, it was the weirdest feeling, not alone, like I didn't have the hair, I had staples in my head, I'm cut from left ear to right ear. And I didn't even want to look at myself. Um, But yeah, those first couple steps were just crazy, because that feeling in my head, I had to get used to of the change of, you know, the membrane going back in there and it being refilled and uh, the titanium plate that's in my head and the screws. Um, So after I did walk With the walker, you know, I was just determined. But at that point back in 2005, I was just really mad. I was mad because why me? You know, I was doing so well at work. Um, They gave me a leave of absence. So I was happy about that. But would I go back to the same position with my head the way it was? Would I be able to support someone that was high level? would I be able to take the stress? No one knew. And I didn't know. And I was just devastated and I was mean. And uh, I'll tell you, I really didn't, I wasn't the best person to be around. My sisters did a great job. Like I said, I had two older sisters. They bathed me. They, you know, they try to make light of it. Um, and I tried to be strong around my parents because I, I knew about my dad and it was so tough to deal with. And I didn't want my mom to go back to drinking, but everyone was so great with my family. And, um, I came home to Pennsylvania to rehab. So I stayed with my mom and at that time, both my parents were working. So during the day I was home alone and we had an issue where a, um, squirrel got into the fireplace. So this was just like a week after I got into Pennsylvania and I'm lying there rehabbing and a squirrel was like running around the house and they can do a lot of damage. So I phone my brother-in-law and he thinks I'm joking because the meds that they had me on, you know, cause, you know, you to see things that weren't there or anticipate things that aren't going to happen. So he thinks I'm joking. So I hang up with him. He comes down to the house and I'm on the phone with my mom. And sure enough, it's a damn squirrel. (laughs) We had to call, you know, the uh, animal control. Uh, But back home uh, in another light, they were having a 5K run walk in my hometown. Uh, Actually on the street and everything where I grew up so i said to my mom i said let's do this as rehab you know the 5k and our whole family did it you know my dad my three sisters my friends everyone came out i had my bandana on and i was at the start line and this is just you know weeks after full brain surgery and i'm off the walker by then and i'm walking pretty good i'm feeling good my weight's not good i'm really down um the, uh, steroids that they gave me either cause you to gain weight or lose weight. And I actually was just really active on them and I lost a lot of weight. So we're at the start line and my mom and sisters are there with me. My dad goes off and I wasn't sure what he was doing. And, um, my mom goes, now we are going to walk this as a family. And I was like, yeah, I had no intentions of doing anything else. And we get out there and we get to the halfway mark. And all of a sudden i hear my father yelling and i was like where is that coming from and i'm trying to look the best i can with one eye and i keep hearing my dad say beth come on pick it up now at that time i'll tell you what that is when it took me back to my days playing sports at high school in collegiate level My dad was alongside the sidelines when they allowed parents with bullhorns and cowbells and him screaming at me saying, move it, get moving, trip her, you know, all the things that a parent would say to push their child. So I took it that in the back of my head, I looked at my mom and she knew what I was going to do. And I, I took off running. Now, was I running at an eight-minute pace? Hell no. It was probably a 12, 13-minute pace, but my feet were coming off the ground. It was the craziest feeling I felt with my head juggling with that empty space. But my dad, at that point in time, gave me hope and made me know that I'm going to be okay, and I was back. And I finished that 5K running, and it was all because of having such a hero in your life, that isn't someone that is a celebrity or someone that has gone to the moon. It was my father and um, I knew I was okay. And I could hear my mom and my sisters yelling and my sister trying to pull me back, but they all knew that I I needed that. And that's when I knew I was okay.
0: That's such an incredible story. And this was only, as you said, weeks after your surgery. So you are still, you know, early in recovery.
1: Yeah. And on top of that, you know, seizures, I seizure. And so my mom was like, she was so adamant about me walking that damn thing, you know, but here's the baby, you know, the favorite in the family and the little tyrant I was, you know, I did my own thing.
0: Yep. And well, this is why you are where you are now,
1: right? Exactly. And again, I don't think if my dad did what he did to know, like, what how he pushed me during school and my, you know, playing sports, which helped me. It wasn't bad pushing, it was all good. Um, that's what that's what gave me hope.
0: Absolutely. Now, you finished this 5K. Uh-huh. And that also was the beginning. You decided at that point that you were going to train for the 2005 Marine Corps Marathon. Is that right?
1: Yeah, which was just a couple of months later. Yep. Unbelievable. Yep.
0: And you finished that one, by the way, 43 minutes faster than your very first one in 2003. That's
1: that's correct. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was determined. I had such a big support group. I mean, everyone came out. Um, I had a great support group. My parents were at the finish line. Um, The race director, Rick Nealis, and I are great friends. So he always treats me, I'm VIP. And so, anytime you want to come run that, please run it with me. You'll get a special treatment. Um, they had my parents right at the finish line, um, and it was it was very special to me. I kissed the finish line, and when I ran that, I stopped at that mile marker at between 18, and 19, and my friends had put a uh, a poster up there, and I was supposed to hit the uh, hit the light pole. And since then, in every Marine Corps since then, they put the poster out there to give me hope. And um, it's just it's a great place, you know, very emotional place for me to run by. Very emotional. Yeah, yeah, I, I think how far I've come since that day. so right.
0: Because then you your story got out. How did it get out? Like what was the first story that was mentioned? Was it you in the five k or was it uh, the the completion of the two thousand five MCM?
1: it was the completion of the 2005 M- mcm and that's when i got taken under by a nonprofit and they they started pushing my story but to to go back to see where i got as far as pushing my story was remember i told you how mean i was and even mean and that's probably why i ran 43 minutes faster because you know i have no hair i'm you know i look like something from Frankenstein with this scar across my head. Um, one of my trips back to John Hopkins with Dr. Brim, you know, he walked me through the children's unit and he wanted to set me straight because he knew my attitude wasn't right. And was not like I was like cursing at people or anything. I just, you know, was, was not me. Um, and he walked me through the, the children's suite and especially those with pediatric brain cancer. And he said, Beth, you know, you walked out of this hospital with your parents. A lot of these children are not even gonna leave this hospital. And if they do, it is in a black bag. So I was like, what is he trying to tell me? And then he proceeded to tell me, now this is the head of neurosurgery. He he, he proceeded to tell me the amount that is federally given, to children with any type of cancer, any type of cancer, lung, you know, blood, whatever, compared to someone that is over the age of 19. Us that are over the age of 19 get almost like 43% from NIH or the federal government to look and research any type of cancer. Now, what do you think a child under the age of 19 gets? I don't know. Take a guess. Uh, 15. Yeah, that would be nice. Try 4%. Wow. So I was absolutely, I stopped in my tracks. And then I knew after talking uh, to my mom and to my partner that I was not going to fight for myself. I was going to fight for pediatric brain cancer, especially because I thought those numbers were just misleading unacceptable and I started fighting the FDA, the NIH, I went to Congress and that's when this whole thing started and then you know people got onto my story about you know it wasn't about Beth Ann Telford and and her journey even though I had one. It was about these children that didn't have a chance like Beth Ann Telford to run a Marine Corps, to drive a car, to kiss a man or a woman, to get married, to go to the prom. So this is why I was doing it.
0: Yeah. And so the story around the achievements for the children, you take your athletic endeavors to an inconceivably new level after brain surgery and, and still having brain cancer. So now you're racing to raise brain cancer awareness and fundraise for brain cancer research, right? So tell us about some of these incredible races that you've completed throughout your recovery and for these children.
1: So I, um, I think that Dr. Brem put like this ticker in my head that speeds me up or gives me crazy ideas. I really do. I think he inserted something in there. But on another note, um, yeah, I I accelerated in my my athletic abilities. I went back to work just to cover that. I did, I, I went back, same job. Um, I, I felt much better, obviously, and was doing great. Uh really had, I still to this day have to watch what I'm doing because I do get confused. So I take it slower, but I started, you know, of course doing all the Marine Corps marathons, but then I wanted to qualify for Boston. So then I was doing other uh, marathons because it was so hard for me to qualify at Marine Corps for some reason. And I, I feel it was because the amount of people coming out and me having to stop. So I went to my home state of Pennsylvania and I ran the Steamtown ma- uh, Marathon in Scranton. And I qualified for there, there, um, which was great. That was my first time. And then I qualified, I've, I've done, uh, I qualified for six, one I couldn't run, which was a blessing because it was the year of the bombing. So I was in the hospital that year, and uh, although my name was on the ticket, everyone thought I was up there, but I was in the hospital due to the cancer in my brain, it shut down my bladder, and I had to have a bladder uh, augmentation, which is a rebuild of my bladder. Mm -hmm. So I've run the Boston Marathons, I've done several Ironmans, especially in Lake Placid, And then of course, like I say, I get these crazy ideas and I have the craziest friends who I just adore, but they send me these crazy ideas to do extreme things like enter into the Ironman championship in Hawaii. And the whole thing was based around your story and how many votes around the world, not just United States you would get. And you sent in your story, which we did, I had a team of people, and I had this great video, it's out there, you can see it, um, my journey to Kona, and we submitted it, and then we just waited for the day when people voted, and it went on for several weeks where people all around the world and I had such a great team of people just pushing and voting every day and you know saying you're going to win you're going to win I had no hopes of winning because this was huge and they had so many awesome stories to paraplegics to alcoholism to uh near death you know stories they were just all amazing um Then it comes down to a couple of days before and they narrowed the field down and I made it. And I was like, oh, my God. So then it was a whole new voting machine and you had to revote on the people that were narrowed down. It's called Kona Inspired. They have since I I don't think they have the program right now, um, but. They narrowed it down and I ended up winning and I won uh, first place. I had the most votes too. You are crazy. This is crazy. I can't even believe it. And I didn't even know I won until like my email started blowing up and people were like, Beth, you're in, you're in. I was like sitting at work and I was like, it's like one of those things, like you want to do it. And then when you're in, you're like, what the hell did I just do?
0: I know that feeling very well. Yes.
1: <laughs> like those goddamn friends of mine that did this to me, you know, but so I was able to do that. And, um, what was so great about Kona, I had to fly out early and the exposure we got from that, you know, of course just excelled pediatric cancer, especially the brain tumor. But the great thing was, is the, um, foundation flew out. My bestest, who was in, who lives in my hometown of Pennsylvania, who has brain cancer, her name is Anya. They flew her and her mom to Hawaii for a week to be there. And she was at the finish line. And the great thing about it, she was just a little pine at that time. I think she was probably seven or eight. And the cutest little thing, um, and she was at the finish line with my parents. And the whole time I was followed on a Harley, except in the water with cameramen, so I got to know them. And when you're coming around the Ben in Kona, you can hear Mike Riley saying, you are an Ironman, all this stuff. So my heart's racing. And I said to the guys on the Harley that are doing my story and doing all the filming, I was like, let's just go run 10 more miles. I just, I have so much time left on the clock. They're like, hell, we're done with you, girl. We are so tired. We are done with you. I'm like, come on. They're like, no, come on, bring this in. So I come in and my dad uh, is looking at me and he's yelling, did you do your hair? And I'm thinking, what the hell is he saying? So I, I, I'm i hearing my dad, I have the American flag and my hope flag, and I come across the finish line and Mike Riley knew it was me. And they did you know a special little thing where they filmed it. And I cried and the man that helped me that was uh, uh, an iron man, he, he had races, was there, Robert Viguerero. And my little Anya was there with her mom and she comes up to me and she goes to a Baptist church now and she's religious and I said what the hell did I just do for you, and then I thought why am I swearing this child you know, and she just looked at me and laughed and gave me the biggest hug it was the best picture from the whole event. And then my dad, he's like, it looks like you um, stopped and did your hair, Beth. You look like you didn't even do an Ironman. I was like, yeah, right? where the hell did I have time to do that? So um, it was such a great trip. We almost lost my father there. He wanted to stay and be homeless. He loved Hawaii. Um, but it really brought the exposure up. And, you know, therefore, then I started doing more marathons for children. Each marathon, I picked children out and I ran with them in some possible way through pictures or designs or shirts that they gave me. Um, so after that, you know, you're like, what's next? And I'm thinking, there's nothing next. I did the Ironman World Championships. I mean, I was there, I did it, I finished it. I unscathed other than third degree burns from the sun. And I'm telling everyone that's it, there's nothing. That's the cream of the crop. Where can I go from here? Well, lo and behold, those great friends of mine, uh, someone sent me an article that was in Runner's World about this great challenge. And I, I was like, okay, the World Marathon Challenge, seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. I was like, oh God, that's gonna be easy. I just have to run seven marathons and seven different continents. Well, I didn't see the consecutive part. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> kind of a key kind of kind of a key criteria.
1: <laughs> so I was like, you, you got to be kidding me. There's no way. And in the article was featured the girl that had from the United States that had done it the previous year, Becca Pisa of in uh, Boston. So I thought, you know what, I'll reach out to her, see if she gets back to me, find out the deal, this whole thing, if it's possible, blah, blah, blah. So I talked to her and <clears throat> great conversation. She's a hell of a great person, great person to interview and would be a great um, interview for you. She's just outstanding. Um, so anyway, I uh, end up thinking, well, you know what? I can do this. Um, at the time, you know, I was through my second brain surgery I had gotten my bladder redone. So I was feeling good. My bladder was under control. Um, So I, I made an appointment with the foundation and it was to talk about another endeavor. Now, between Ironman and this World Marathon Challenge, I was running the Grand Canyons. That was a big thing that we did, the rim to rim to rim. So that was uh and most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I will do that in a heartbeat. Anyone that wants to do that, please contact me. I loved running the Grand Canyons and we did that in like a record time. It was stunning. So I make this appointment with the foundation and I'm taking the items in there from the marathon and you know, Becca's information, blah, blah, blah. So they're like, wow, this is great. This will, you know, even more exposure. We can take this to another level. I was like, okay. There are like a couple of things that you need to do. You need to get, you know, your primary doctor, your surgeon, your neurosurgeon, oncologist. I was like, oh, I can handle that, you know, because I had in the back of my head how I was going to handle that. So they were on board. So we're moving forward and they take over doing all of the PR, marketing, and finding you know, someone to host me to make this endeavor because it wasn't cheap. And of course, we don't want to take funds out of brain cancer, um, you know, funds from that. So we had to find someone that would be able to do that. We, We had that person. So I go to my doctors. And of course, what I did was the same thing I did when I read the original World Marathon Challenge. Oh, it's seven marathons, seven continents, seven days. So I know Dr. Brim, when I was with him, he had no idea it was consecutive either because I'm thinking he wouldn't have let me do it. So I skated through that one, Um, not right, but I did it. And I got all the consent from my doctors and then training started for this world marathon challenge night and day how yeah
0: because this was so the kona world championships was in 2012 and then rim to rim to rim was when
1: uh that was i think we did that 2014 or 15.
0: okay so and the world marathon challenge was in 2017 right
1: yeah it was during uh inauguration january 2017 yeah
0: okay Okay. so it's early 2017 okay basically you had to train all of 2016 for this probably, right?
1: I did the whole entire time. And I, you know, I kept my full-time job. They, I had leave enough to uh, take the leave. Plus they gave me some, you know, time because I had worked a lot. And um, yeah, I trained early morning. I got up and that's why I'm I'm an early bird. So I get up at four and, and I'll train, went to work then I would run or bike at night or do strength training. I had a great coach. Um, She happened to be my coach for Kona and I was doing everything trying to keep, you know, the tumor calm, my bladder, you know, in check. I just listened to my body and I, I just trained. That's, that was my life for a year.
0: Yeah. So Um, Okay, so this uh, challenge uh, starts in Antarctica and then Mm -hmm. goes to Chile, U.S., Spain, Morocco, Emirates and Australia ends in Australia. Correct. Is that the right order?
1: That's correct.
0: To reiterate, when you say consecutive, it means consecutive days. So the first day you're in Antarctica on the seventh day, you end up in Australia, which is crazy because you have to also not only run a marathon, but you also have to. You know get on the plane and travel
1: <laughs> yeah eat and sleep and deal with the time change so yeah. there's a lot of factors and for me i was the first and the only person right now that has done it with cancer in their body um and you know i was dealing with that and i was lucky that my sponsor for the whole thing sponsored a pr person slash medical to go along to administer to make sure my heart rate was fine you know, tie my shoes, you know, do all this stuff. She was a Sherpa for me, more or less. And um, at the same time, she went around the world in seven days. So how many people can say that? But yeah, the clock started ticking as soon as the um, the buzzer went off in Antarctica for the first marathon, you know, so we only had so many hours.
0: Crazy. I would love to, maybe we can have a, a, another interview uh, about this race in sp- particular, because I would love to hear details on this if you're interested.
1: <laughs> I am hundred percent. And I think anyone that is thinking of doing something to raise awareness and can do this. And I know anyone can do it. If I did it, a blind person did it. I think it would help them and ease their, um, ease their thoughts about it because it sounds grueling. It is grueling, but I listen to my body. And when you have something so deep in your heart that you feel so strong about, and for me, other than my family is pediatric cancer, you you can take on the world and truly come out winning with your chest high and your head high. And I just feel that way. So if you're determined enough, and that is through my endurance, events. You're going to, you're going to complete it. Now, are you going to be the first person? No, I never wanted to be the first, maybe before cancer. I just want to finish and show these children that they can get out of the hospital. There is hope they can walk again. They can run through the playground again, and they can get to the prom and they can get to the marriage and so forth and so on. And I think that's important. And, you know, I don't shy away from showing them when I'm getting treatment or when I'm getting my MRIs, because I'm just like them. I'm scared. And, um, you know, I'm 51 now, but I still share the days I go back to Hopkins and sad news and the good news, because we're all going through it together. And I think it's important.
0: Absolutely. I, um, well, there's to the first thing you said, if you're running to win, it's because you're competing with yourself and competition is one side of you know racing but if you have something other than yourself that is driving you you are capable to achieve anything really just you know in in other words is what you're saying so and then you know yes i think also sharing and being open this is why i have this podcast i feel like opens up other people's you know minds and and Seeing what's possible and starting to talk about their um, stories as well, just because I think having a conversation, you never know what's going to come of it, right? Something, a new door might open, and yeah, I just, I just think that's that's important to have these conversations and be open and honest.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And and that being said, especially in these trying times, not only of politics but of COVID, people are are cooped up and we're not used to being a lot of us are not used to that. Um, A lot of us aren't introverts. We're extroverts and we need to be around people or doing stuff. That's what's so great about these virtual runs. If you can get a group of people that you know are healthy and covid free, go out and run and do it or start, you know, couch to to stepping outside to do a run walk you know, do something. Um, and I think that's important.
0: Yeah, agreed. So I want to circle back to your efforts on, on raising awareness for brain cancer and, and fundraising for brain cancer research. You've been incredibly active and you are very sought after advocate and speaker for various organizations, including your own, right? So tell us what you've been working on and how listeners can get involved.
1: So I, I, and like I said, I was working with Accelerate Brain Cancer Cure in uh, Washington, D.C. That was founded by Gene and Steve Case. Steve's brother uh, died of brain cancer, and they were uh, very intricate in trying to find a cure. They have, uh, as of December, closed their doors um, and are only doing their finance part of um of their case foundation. So Accelerate Brain Cancer Cure no longer exists, which is was, was very saddening for me, but um, there are so many great outlets out there. So I've been doing a lot for the National Brain Tumor Society, which is in Boston. And I have done stuff with them even when I was with ABC Squared and they're, they've really taken on Accelerate Brain Cancer Cures uh, mission. They have taken on the people that were working there. And I just feel very good about the whole transition. So I do a lot for them. Um, I do have my own little team that with the National Brain Tumor Society every May, uh, May is Brain Cancer Awareness Month. So every May in DC, we have the largest brain tumor 5K run walk. And I happen to hold a couple records there for, you know, the, the person with female with brain cancer. And I also hold records there for having the most money raised. Now over the years you can only imagine I was you know training for bigger things but this 5K is is something that's very special to me due to the fact a lot of us survivors or uh parents of children um child children of parents come out you know vice versa and we get together and it's a huge 5K it's it's so it's wonderful and uh this year of course with covid it was canceled But, um, so I have Team BT, so I do have a site, it's www.teambt.org. On there's a lot of, you know, my video clips coming back from, and prior to the World Marathon Challenge, we did over 300 media outlet interviews, so that was amazing in itself. So there's a lot there that you can find. And, um, you know, I've, I've been ambassadors for different people. Prior to um, doing my big event in World Marathon Challenge at Kona, I, I did Team Inspiration, which is a cancer warrior foundation that's run out of Maryland. And that's still in existence. It's it's a great um, platform for people that really want to do Ironmans mostly, but they do marathons as well. So that's where I am right now. I'm um, doing a lot of speaking, as you can imagine. And that's been helping people. Um, and I'm just getting out like I did just the Harrisburg Marathon. I ran that for two people, one person that uh, is a very dear friend of mine. His brother uh, got a brain cancer, was in Philadelphia. Unfortunately, after his surgery, he got COVID and passed away just uh, two weeks ago. Um, so I ran it for him and then I ran it for my very dear friend who is a senator in Pennsylvania who has severe brain cancer. So I ended up running that race. And I, like I told you every race, I don't do it without, you know, taking people with me or people coming out that have cancer. So every race is very important to me, no matter what length, distance, time, um, or location.
0: Right. Right. Well, it's wonderful, wonderful, and you know it is. It is important to say that you know you do these things for others, and the way that drives you to to do well and finish, and for yourself too. But doing these races for others is. I love your spirit, and I love your, your you know, determination, and you're an incredible inspiration for everyone with or without cancer. <laughs> uh, what has in your mind, been your proudest moment in life inside and outside of running or triathlon?
1: Um, The proudest moment of my life would be, uh, you know, I'm a fighter and I get that from my father. My father, uh, you know, I don't come from money. My father was a food broker. So he ran around in a car all day, you know, stocking food at grocery stores. And then he did various jobs, you know, Ended up in the Senate delivering mail, but he always was doing something. He always worked very hard, very hard. And he always gave me um, that drive to not give up. And my proudest moment there's two in my life that I can remember one being a child, and my dad and I were at an event. And um, at that event, I had it was a raffle, and I had won a men's 10 speed bike. Now I was just probably eight or nine, but it was something that I won and I gave it to my dad and we went over to my dad's father's house and my dad just rode that around. It was, my dad has that bike to this day, it hangs in the garage in his house. And my dad was just so proud of me. And I just felt like I had given my dad, you know, a Maserati (laughs) Um, and then, this is a bittersweet moment. My my grandfather had died and my grandfather was very tough. Uh, this is my dad's dad. When I came across the finish line at Kona, I said to my dad, I whispered to him and I said, dad, do you think pop would be proud of me? He said, I know he would be proud of you but not as proud as I am of you. And I think that moment, I mean, he is not a very uh, affectionate man. But over the years he's come to be. And when I heard that and what he said, it just um, it was like the best thing anyone has ever said to me. Um, the best thing that's going to happen to me is we're going to find a cure for cancer, maybe not my cancer, but one day the paper's going to read, we have found a cure. And I hope that's soon. But those are two moments that stick in my head was my dad's bicycle, which he still has. Um, in the moment that I asked my dad if my grandfather would be proud of me and he turned it into him being more proud of me than anyone. So that meant a lot.
0: I love that. I really do. I love the bike story. I like both stories, obviously. Yeah, Yeah. they're both, you know, related to your dad. And, you know, I think about my my relationship with my dad and it it certainly um, struck a very strong chord. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And it's not like I love my dad more than my mom. I know I talk a lot about my dad, but my, um, you have to remember my years growing up, my mom really wasn't there. She was a, a, a really bad drinker. So, but she has changed. She is a saint now she could be in sainthood. So it's not like I don't love one more than the other. The two are a package to me and they're at my left hip and my right hip and they switch hips every once in a while. So, um, yeah, but the memories that I do have are are ones that probably were so important to me because, like I said, my mom's the rock, so I can go to her and get, well, you got to go this way. I might go this way, but Beth, you got to go this way. And then my dad's like my hero, you know, he never gave up on anything, never gave up on my mom. They're still married 60 some odd years. He never gave up on On work, he always found a job when he was let go from one or didn't like one. So, um, yeah.
0: So if you could pick one type of race or distance to compete in for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: Oh, a marathon. Definitely. Definitely a marathon. Um, I just, uh, running 26.2 is just like, wow. You know, I've run longer. Um, Obviously, I've done ultras and things like that i just something about a marathon and something about marathons in locations that you get to see the city um you know those people that are running some people don't they just look down or they're not they're concentrating and not focused on what their surroundings um but it's nice to be running in in historic places and and there's a lot of great races everywhere i mean look at big sur that you've done and you know some great you know, marathons, but that's definitely the distance I prefer.
0: Yeah, there's something about city uh, races, marathons specifically, where you have a lot of um, audience participation, and just that feeling of being cheered on by people surrounded, surrounding you is just, that's something very unique, and you have to be there to sort of feel it.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you if if no one has done New York City yet. That is the best spectator one and you go through all five boroughs and I I love that race. I continue to do that. That was supposed to be last weekend, but I think that New York City is just the best.
0: Yeah, that's how I started. Well, it's actually a funny story. Um I used to live in New York City and I would always stand in the finish line with my girlfriends, you know, I was at the time smoking cigarettes and I always was admiring the runners. I'm like, Oh my God, I will never do something like that. And, <laughs> you know, here I am uh, not smoking and uh, running marathons. So things change.
1: <laughs> changed.
0: Yeah. All right. So back to kind of what we were talking earlier, last question, what would you tell someone who's either struggling with brain cancer or, or another type of cancer or just in life, in general, like you said, COVID earlier, and cannot fathom getting off the couch, let alone run, what would you tell them?
1: This this comes up a lot in my life. In 15 years, like, I mean, it's countless. I get emails, I get calls, you know. How, how do you do this? How do you push your body? Or someone that doesn't even, like you say, just is overweight or just drinking or smoking, you know, what can I do to at least get off the couch. So this happens to me a lot. And it goes back once again um to my father instilling uh Winston Churchill saying into me which is never 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 give up. One of his fa- you know favorite speeches that Churchill does. So you know from my father I've learned to be tough, to not give up to continue on my dreams, no matter if I had two cents in my pocket or $200 in my pocket. Um, He instilled that, you know, if it's in your heart, you're gonna do it. And that's what I believed. And going back to the point where you have someone that reminds you of something good, like father being on the sidelines, yelling and telling me, you know, keep going, keep going. That that you can. Now you're going to have your ebb and flows where you you know one minute like I can't do this, I'm out of breath, or you know this is for the birds. I want to eat McDonald's French fries, and I do love McDonald's French fries. Just as a note, but you're going to go through those things, especially if you've never run before, and you're going to take on something like what I did. Um, But you have to realize in life there's always roadblocks. I hit them all the time with my health, but I know I can bounce back. And I go into each surgery knowing I'll run again one day, maybe not as fast as I did five months ago, but I'm going to do it. And it's all in your heart. And if you have something that you're so determined to get rid of in your life or to inspire someone else or to raise funds for someone else, you're going to do it. It's just like getting up and brushing your teeth and combing your hair and walking out the door to start your day. It's, I, I feel that um, I'm going to be, and I am better than I have been before my cancer. And I would not take this back in a heartbeat. If God came to me today or whoever the higher power is and said, Beth, we're going to reverse all this. We're going to take this back. I would say, hell no. Because you have no idea, one, the amount of money that I've raised has been wonderful. The people that I've met, that have touched not only my heart, but my entire family, not just my parents, my sisters, my brother-in-laws, my partners, my dear friends, Um, I wouldn't give this up for the world. So when you wanna do something in your life and you're determined or you're tired of being heavy or drinking or smoking, Just remember, it's not going to be easy. Anything in life that you want isn't easy. We're going through tough times now. We're locked down. Um, You just have to push yourself and never, never, never give up.
0: Right. And you don't have to tackle a marathon. Just
1: take one
0: step at a time, run Mm -hmm. a mile, walk a mile, right? Right.
1: Yes. Or, you know, do a, uh, they have those mud, the mud you know, runs or the yeah, uh, are, Yep. Yeah. Those are fun. They have little simple ones. They have, uh, you know, petite Ironmans, you know, little triathlons, get involved in that where you can excel both in swims, you know, bike and run. And that gives you a variety of different things. I love doing little sprint triathlons. um, you know, just get in the pool and swim, um, weightlifting, you know, anything, just keep moving and keep your mind on better things.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, Vasayan, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Obviously you are um, a huge inspiration, great person to talk to. I love that Suzanne made the introduction. So thank you, Suzanne. Shout out to you.
1: Yes. She's a doll. I love her.
0: She's amazing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I wish you the best. What's your next, uh, marathon?
1: Um, so in February, there is a marathon here, the G uh, George Washington marathon. Oh, that's and, right.
0: Yeah. yeah I'm going to
1: pursue that. I think Suzanne, I think, you know, there's a group cause it's a Boston qualifier and that'll give me more time to work, um, on speed and on that race. I can, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people will be out for that because it's cold and um, I can really concentrate on qualifying because I would like to qualify. Awesome. And yeah. you will. Yeah. And uh, maybe
0: one of these days we'll be running something together. I would love that.
1: Yeah, I told you, um, Suzanne and I are willing to come out there after COVID. I would love to come out there and run, uh, definitely, even if it's just our own little run. Um, and hang out and drink some wine. But I do look forward to another podcast about the World Marathon Challenge, because I think people would find that very interesting and and, um, maybe inviting to do. I
0: agree. Awesome, Bethann. Well, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you again. And we will definitely be in touch.
1: All right. Sounds great. And thank you. And um, I hope I've inspired people listening. And then my training shirt, it says run with purpose, finish with pride.
0: Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Beth Ann as much as I did. I encourage you to read up on her online, on her website, tbt.org, and on Instagram, hope is my word. That is hope.is.my.word. dot dot Speaking of social media, in case you're looking for me in other corners of the World Wide Web. The best way to find me is on Facebook and Instagram under my name, Antonia De Heinrich. That is A-N-T-O-N-I-A-D-E-H-E-I-N-R-I-C-H. On Facebook, head on over to the I Quit X and Started Running page and join the Quit Something Start Running group to follow and share stories. It's a great place to be inspired and inspire others with your transformation and express interest in joining me as a guest on my podcast. Or you can just simply email us at quitxstartrunning at gmail.com. To subscribe to this podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whichever your favorite podcast listening platform may be. If you like my show, I would love it if you would leave a rating and maybe even a review my guests would appreciate it as well. Thank you so much for joining me today and I hope to see you back next Monday, November 23rd. There have been some scheduling issues, so fingers crossed. Until then, my friends, quit whatever you're doing and start running.